ain't anything. <laughs> that, was, that was powerful. Would you uh, give me your notes when you're done with them? I'd like to forget that you did it and preach it somewhere some, someday. It was so good. Somebody said, uh, have you ever heard anybody drop the hammer in such love? And uh, it's a way, good way to think of it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, well, I'd like to introduce you to more grandchildren. <laughs> we, uh, we have two more with us. Uh, Amara, wave at me. Amara, thank you. There's the sweetest girl in the world right there. And then Caden, her brother, who uh, is an awesome kid. So we're glad to, to have them with us. You might notice in your bulletin that we are uh, taking another group to Israel next year. Please understand, I'm not on salary, I don't get a commission, there's nothing like that. We just love to take people to Israel and uh, uh, we're going again May 20th through the 31st next year. That sounds like a long time away, but we already have a number, a good number of people signed up and if you'd like to go, we would love for you to go. I see that I forgot to put the, uh, the website uh, address in here, so why don't we just do this? If you're interested in more information, just write me, uh, dennisnewkirk at gmail.com. It's not original, okay? Uh, but dennisnewkirk at gmail, and uh, one of us, Mark Shara, will be uh, happy to get back to you. So that's what's going on. This is a big time in the life of this wonderful, wonderful church. And uh, Marcia and I are praying for you. We know that next weekend is a defining moment in the life of the church. And uh, please know that we love you. We're praying for you. Uh, we're, we're praying for the McCoys. I'm glad I'm not you, brother. There's, there's no pain exactly like going in view of a call, especially when they know you. You know, that's the problem. They know you. Uh, somebody else, somebody else has more problems than you, but they don't know it. So, <laughs> all right. We're in Acts chapter 2, Acts 2, 41. Uh, we have been studying in the book of Acts. We come, interestingly enough, to a passage today about what the first church did. Uh, this could be seen as primitive Christianity. What is it? Uh, what does the Bible say is normative for Christians as we relate to one another and do the work of God? That's what's before us. Now, if I might, I'd like to just give you six points of remembering what we've talked about. Uh, number one is Jesus has now ascended into heaven. And so he's gone. And the apostles have met together for prayer uh, along with 120 other people in some giant room that's there in Jerusalem. And the apostles have selected Matthias as 
Judas's replacement. Huge decisions have been made. And as we saw last week, the Holy Spirit, God with us, has come into the world now and not come upon people to help with specific issues, but instead to indwell us personally. So that's happened. Peter has preached a sermon and 3,000 people have been saved and the church has now been born. So a lot has happened in a very few verses. So what did those 3,000 new Christians do? I mean, can you imagine they're baptized and then they think, well, now what? What, what do I do now? And we get to see what the first church did. And we can understand then this is what the church is supposed to do. This is what as a Christian I'm supposed to do. Uh, so what do biblical churches do anyway or another uh, way of saying what do those 3,000 people who were saved in the first church do? Well, the first thing that they did was that they were baptized. They, they were baptized. Verse 41, it says this. So those who received his word, Peter's word, preacher, preaching of God's word, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Baptism. I preached a sermon some months ago about baptism, but I feel like I should come back and revisit it very briefly. Uh, baptism. Why is it important? Jesus was baptized. Jesus taught that all those who follow him should be baptized. There is the 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost. They were all baptized. We have the Ethiopian who receives Christ and he wants to be baptized. We have the Philippian jailer who receives Christ, and he wants to be baptized. Do you see the pattern here that we have? We don't have a single illustration in the Bible of someone who received Christ and refused to be baptized as a believer. Not one illustration. Now, what does that tell you? You know, from time to time, I've had people tell me, you know, I, baptism is important. I don't believe in baptism. Uh, well, God does believe in baptism. And uh, yes, as Christians, it's possible to be a Christian and not be baptized, but I don't understand why you would, why you would want to do that. I mean, this is a first step. It's saying to the world, listen, I'm, I am now a follower of Christ and I want you to know that I am. As, as the congregation, as the people of God, watch a person being baptized, we should be thinking, God is still saving people. Uh, this is a person who believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is my brother. This is my sister. And worship the Lord accordingly. And so it's for the church. It's for the person who's being baptized. Next, what did they do? Well, they got together and they devoted themselves to the studying of scripture. If you're following along in the notes, uh, would you 
please just draw a circle around studying and a line through it. Uh, as I've thought about it this week, I've thought, well, really, it was more than just studying the Bible. They were studying and applying the Bible. So they devoted themselves to Scripture. It says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted is an interesting uh, word. Devoted gives us the idea of being dedicated to something. Uh, uh, committed to doing something or having a relationship with something. And what was it? What was the apostles' teachings? And what's that? Well, all of the New Testament was written by apostles. This is the apostolic teaching. It's scripture is what they did. They devoted themselves. They dedicated themselves to learning what the apostles were saying and then doing what the apostles are saying. There is no way for us to be growing, mature, healthy Christians apart from respecting the fact that Scripture is God's Word. It is God speaking to us. We do not take it and put it on the refrigerator on Sunday afternoon and pick it up again the next Sunday on the way to church. We read it, we pray over it, we seek to live it, we ask God for insight in it. As God speaks into your soul through the reading of the word. Now you might say, I, there's so much I don't understand. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Uh, there's so much that I don't understand, so much more for, for me to learn. It's true for all of us. But understand this, as you bring it into your heart, as you bring it into your heart, then at the right time, the Holy Spirit will bring it back out and show you how it's applying to your life. We had uh, a friend uh, in another church that I pastored, uh, Don Ships was his name, and he had Huntington's Korea. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's the involuntary movement of muscles. So it's a, really, it's a dreadful disease. And uh, Don is one who had committed himself to learning scripture. So when he could no longer control the movements of his of his hands, his arms, his legs, his head, when he could no longer control that, he was still quoting scripture. Do you remember, Marcia? He was still quoting scripture to himself. And uh, that's, the, uh, that's life to us. It's life. Uh, don't think that you're exempt from it. And don't think that you somehow can't deal with it. You can because the Holy Spirit is in you and he will teach you the truth. Read it. Read it for yourself. Uh, and sit under the teaching of it uh, because we all need to be taught. Uh, I know regularly I'm listening to uh, the scripture being taught or preached regularly because my soul needs it. Uh, so we have baptism, we have scripture, and then the most difficult for us to deal with, for us to understand, because it is so unlike 
what we American Christians do and think uh, uh, as part of our culture. Uh, the, the word that uh, we're going to deal with here, the, the word is related to fellowship. They engaged in true biblical fellowship. I'm, I'm talking about true biblical fellowship. Uh, I, I could preach, I could teach for literally months about what that means uh, because it is so deep and so life-changing. What is biblical fellowship? Well, look at verse 42 again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. All right, these 3,000 Christians, new Christians, did something that uh, is essential for every Christian sense to do. And that is, uh, well, they were together. You see, they were together. Now, this doesn't speak necessarily about proximity. Instead, it talks about we're together on this. Oh, maybe different opinions, but we are together. We're a group. They had all things the scripture says in common. They even sold their possessions and gave the proceeds to help those in need. Now, what's that about anyway? Well, remember that Jews were in Jerusalem to celebrate something called the Passover. It's like an early harvest uh, celebration. And uh, so from all over the world, they came. It was incumbent upon them to come for uh, the feasts and go to uh, Jerusalem for it. And so that's exactly what they did. But there were lots of people. I mean, Jerusalem grew from maybe 60,000 to 180,000 during the period of, of this festival. And so people came from literally everywhere, and they received Christ. They believed and received Christ. 3,000 of them did. And many of these people wanted to stay in Jerusalem and learn from the apostles and fellowship with other believers. And so uh, they're stuck. They're visiting Jerusalem. They want to stay and be taught and to grow. So what did they do? They had no home and they had no job. So what did they do? Would you go back with me just one more time to the passage? It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. We're going to come back to the word, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and the belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. There are words in every language that are 
very difficult to translate into another. Uh, when I know when I, I studied German for years, and uh, uh, there are words that you just can't translate from English to German or German to English. Uh, it takes a whole sentence to try to translate it. And that's true for Hebrew, and it's also true for Biblical Greek. For those of you who are not, haven't heard this, the New Testament was written in uh, a language called Koine Greek. And so, uh, this is one of those words. Their word for it, you've probably heard, koinonia, koinonia. You've probably heard of it. Uh, when we think of fellowship, we think of a party. When I was growing up as a kid, I can remember the church would have periodic fellowships in the fellowship hall. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of that, but that really isn't fellowship. Uh, fellowship can happen in it, but it's really, it's a party. We're afraid to use the word party. Uh, it's a party. Christians can have parties. You just can't dance. No, yeah. Somebody's for it. You ready to go? We'll go. We'll go for it. Uh, now, Koinonia is involvement with each other. Okay? Uh, you could do that when you walked in. You, you involved yourself in the group. But it's more than that. It's partnership in what's being done. It is partnership in helping one another, being helped by one another, working together to further the kingdom, to bless the church. It is partnership. When we come to Christ, we become partners together in his work. It is mutuality is what it is. Uh, you know, we as American Christians prize individuality uh, you know uh, I, I love to, uh, uh, to to watch people uh, as they as they're coming home from from work you know drive to the mailbox it's much too far to, to walk and so drive to it open it up and then drive into your driveway into the garage, shut the door before you get out, and now you're safe. You know, we value individuality, but Scripture, God values koinonia, involvement with others, partnership with others, mutuality with others. That, that's what is God's plan. God's plan is, again, one more time, mutuality, doing life together as a people. Now, what do you get out of that anyway? Well, first of all, you obey God by doing it, but what else is there? One of the things is it protects you spiritually. If you're really involved in the lives of other Christians and they are involved with you, there is accountability that grows up around that. Uh, Joe hasn't been in, in church for three weeks. I wonder why. We better check on him. See, there's accountability. It's 
uh, uh, my, my brother, my sister, hold me accountable to stop doing this or start doing this. It protects you. And next, it provides encouragement for you. Uh, Marcia and I have friends in, in uh, Oklahoma. Uh, he was on the staff with me for about 22 years, a missions pastor, maybe the best ever missions pastor. And his wife, uh, Vanda, there's nothing confidential about this. His wife, Vanda, was discovered, diagnosed as having a brain tumor uh, a few days ago. And um, I mean, these are people, what, 50, around 50 years old. And uh, so she's in the hospital. She's having brain surgery. It's a dire situation. And Mike wrote to me and said, we are hearing from people all over the world. And people from our church are flooding us with love, prayers, and help. Well, that's what it provides for you. It provides encouragement. He's encouraged, she's encouraged by the body of Christ. It also helps you grow spiritually. We need the spiritual gift of others. Uh, for, just for an example, we all need to be taught scripture. And those who teach should have a gift of teaching. And, and so uh, when the Bible is taught and we receive it, we grow spiritually. Uh, so it helps us. And all the other spiritual gifts are the same way. So we speak into one another's lives and it helps us grow up in Christ. And then it also gives us courage when we're doing life together closely with other believers. Courage. We hear the testimony of others as they have lived through difficult times. We're encouraged at how God was with them and blessed them. So koinonia is involvement in the lives of others. It is working together. It's encouraging one another. It's praying with one another. It is watching out for one another. It is providing for the needs of each other. Now, please hear this. You cannot thrive as a Christian. You cannot thrive as a Christian without koinonia. You can't. If you feel like you're stuck in your spiritual growth, it may well be that this is the element that is missing. Uh, one of our uh, sons, uh, uh, two are pastors, but one of, of them is pastor at, at, at uh, a midtown church here. And I'll be frank, I have never seen such koinonia in a church. Never seen. When we come in, when Marcia and I come uh, in those few Sundays that I'm able to attend church there, when we come in, we are loved. They often meet together in one another's home and they will eat and pray together. Uh, uh, there is a level of relationship. My son preaches way too long. <laughs> I told him the other day, son, you had two great sermons there. <laughs> uh, but after church, 
you know, and it was like, it was like dark 30. I mean, <laughs> the Methodists had already gone to the restaurant and left. So, uh, uh, so uh, you know, it's late. And uh, somebody came and talked to me and about a half an hour later, I'd say most all the people in the church are still standing around talking. They're still loving on each other. That's kind of fellowship. Fellowship is essential for your growth. Now, you cannot really have much fellowship by just coming to worship. You are you must come and worship with other believers, but you can't do a lot of fellowship with other, uh, with other believers in this kind of setting. You need a small group of other believers to do life together with. Brian, what are your small groups called? Foothills groups. That's like Dennis Newkirk at Gmail. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Foothills groups. A lot of creativity on your staff. I just. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's, that's how you do life together with one another. Join one of those. And if it's not the right one, go to the next one. All right. So they were saved, they were baptized. Uh, they committed themselves to the study and to the living out of Scripture, and they practiced koinonia. Uh, friend, may I say just one more time, you must have koinonia for you to thrive as a Christian. You cannot do this on your own. Next, they began to worship together as a church. It says this, and it's just kind of slipped in there, and it can get by us easily. And they devoted them, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' uh, teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now, when I read breaking of bread, I think about having dinner. But that's not what this is talking about. Essentially, every expert on the book of Acts will say this has to do with communion, with the Lord's Supper, which is the highest expression of Christian worship. The church has treated it as that from the very beginning, the highest expression of Christian worship as we devote ourselves to remembering the death of our Savior and how his blood saves us. Now, that, that is an integral part of worship. And it's what the congregation does together. We don't do it on our own. In fact, I don't think we should even do it as a small group. I think that this is something that the church body does together as we worship together. And so what it's talking about here is corporate worship. They met together for corporate worship. You know, when you study the Bible, you find out there's five things that every church must do. It, God has commanded us to worship him together in these five ways. They are in prayer. You must pray when you come together. Number two, in the preaching and teaching of God's word. 
Now, whether that's what I do or whether I didn't do it, I would still know the same thing, believe the same thing. God speaks to us in a variety of ways, but it's in the explanation of Scripture that we tend to grow the most. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the word, word that's used here is a speech about God. And so uh, there's got to be preaching. There's got to be congregational singing. And, and by the way, it doesn't matter what the song is or what the tempo is. It matters what the words say. Do they glorify Christ? And so there's got to be congregational singing and the reading of Scripture. Paul told Timothy to read the Word of God to the people of God. And then the, the doing of the ordinances, the observance of the Lord's Supper and baptism. And so they worshiped together. It is possible to be a Christian and not worship with other believers. It is not possible to be a growing, thriving, healthy Christian apart from having a commitment to worshiping with other believers. And then they influenced others to come to Christ. So we have this 3,000 people and they are doing uh, certain things to, to bless one another. I mean, they're saved, they're baptized, they commit themselves to scripture. There's koinonia. Uh, they're, they're involved in all this. They worship together. And then uh, there is this element of influencing outside believers, in a, in, uh, unbelievers in a surprising way. Verse 46 says, and day to day, they attending the temple. They were still attending the temple and then taking part in Christian worship. And then as the book of Acts goes on, you'll see they quit worshiping in the temple and they just worship together. And so day by day, they attended the, the temple together and then the breaking of bread in their homes because they didn't have any large uh, facility. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So they're eating together. And uh, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love, love, love that last sentence. People on the outside were amazed at what they saw in the lives of these believers. These believers now are becoming very different from what they used to be. God is changing their lives. Yesterday, I, I talked to uh, a man that was part of the first church, Martian, I started in. Uh, it was just before the flood, it, uh, as, as I recall. Um, and uh, Rusty and Lisa, and he's a sheriff's deputy. Uh, and he uh, retired from the sheriff's office and uh, then went on into another security kind of work. And one of the things that he does is he goes to the prison and he disciples believers in the prison, people who have come to Christ and people 
who have known the Lord. He disciples them. And he said that he was in one of these groups at one of the prisons, and this guy comes in, and he's all, his words were, all tatted up with Aryan Brotherhood tats. Uh, and uh, so I don't know what that is, but it's not good. Okay? And so he's, he's got all of these signs of racism all over him. Then a, a black man came and sat right next to him. And my friend Rusty thought, well, war is about to start here. And you know what happened? They hugged each other and they shook hands. Now, how in the world can that be? It's because Christ changes our hearts. Just think about what people on the outside, seeing these two together in fellowship with one another, the impact that something that, like that has. Uh, lives and, uh, so their lives and their relationships were so counter-cultural that people looked at what was happening and they wanted it for themselves. Uh, you remember back in chapter 1, verse 8, uh, Brian was speaking, and uh, he talked about, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses where you are, and then the next step out, and the next step out to the world. All right. Uh, as, as he said, this is really not necessarily about presenting the Roman roads to people. This is about uh, they received power to live for Christ and that was so attractive to people that then these believers were able to share verbally with one another and they came to Christ. And so uh, counter-cultural living, counter-cultural living, that is one of the most powerful things that we as believers do. And verse number seven, 47 says, praising God and having favor with all the people. These people would be the outside people, people who have not yet been, say, pre-Christians. Uh, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, that's what the church is, is supposed to be like. That is what you as a Christian should desire. And if the church is not all of that, then help it become all of that. This is what a, a believing church does. Now, uh, the application of this, I mean, there's just too much uh, for, I think, for anybody just to capture the application of it all. But one thing is understand that, that God is still saving people today. That means that he's bringing people to belief in Jesus, trusting him as their Lord and Savior. If you have a desire for that, 
but you're not at all sure it's ever happened in your life that Christ has ever come into your life. I want to urge you today to receive Christ. Uh, people at the desk outside will be more than happy to talk to you about it. I know I would. I'm sure that Brian and Craig and uh, the other guys would as, as well, or any of the elders would. Even Rick would probably do that. Right? Okay, he said so. Uh, and uh, they were baptized. I don't want to harp on this, but I do want you to understand, Christian who hasn't been baptized as a believer, you, you may have gone through some rite uh, as a baby, and, and you know, I think that's just fine, but just don't call it baptism. Baptism is for people who have received Christ. I mean, really, that's what it is. And uh, there are no doubt those of you who have not been baptized as believers. Uh, it, it may be that you were, you were baptized and then later you received, found out that you, hadn't, you could see that you hadn't really received Christ and you did. You need to be baptized. And so I urge you to do that and just let the church know at the desk or the individuals and they'll be happy to help you as well. And then, what's your plan for your relationship with Scripture? What's your plan for that? Do you have a plan? Or do you see it kind of as this, this old-fashioned uh, religious document who, that's got a lot of dust from history on it? That, if you see it as God's word speaking to you, if you see that, see it in that way, which is what it is, then bring it into your life. You know, you don't have to study five chapters at a time. A paragraph that's prayed over and sought to apply is good for the beginning. A couple of years ago, I found uh, a letter. We were moving and, and uh, uh, going through things, throwing things out. And uh, I, I found a letter that my mother had written to me in college when I was at NAU. So I put it on top of the refrigerator and just kind of forgot about it. You think that's what I did? I did not. This was a message from my mother. I read every word of it time and time again. God has left you a letter for you to read, your father is speaking to you. And I, I just encourage you to bring that into your life, to make it part of your life, to schedule time in your life to do it. Uh, uh, next, I want to encourage you to, to incorporate public and private worship as a, a part of what you are as a being. Uh, worship is recognizing the worthiness of God 
And it's expressing your understanding of the worthiness of God, the supreme being, the father, the one who loves you, the sovereign, the loving, perfect God. It's expressing to him thanksgiving and praise and recognition for what he's done. This is cleansing for you, and it is appropriate for him. And koinonia, koinonia. Be more than a come-to-worship-one-day-a-week Christian. Be, be more than that. Now, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. Whether this is the extent of your involvement at this point or not, I'm so glad you're here. This is an early step. It's a step that you may be making over and over again. Don't let up on this. Uh, in a, a church that I, I pastored, um, football, college football, uh, was the passion of the people. The, the number one spectator sport there was watching for tornadoes. The next one, the, the next one was uh, football, OU and OSU football. And if there was an OU football game on Saturday night, I guarantee you that a quarter of the congregation wouldn't be there on Sunday morning. They had prized that above their fellowship with other believers and worshiping together. Don't let things get in your way. Koinonia. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this precious church that we have learned to love dearly. Father, of course, I just pray over this passage in them. I pray that this church would just be constantly reforming, reforming to capture in their experience the reality of true biblical Christianity and how the lives of these individuals will be deepened and enriched if they do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.